Father God, we just thank you. I just thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to share my heart in this area. I thank you, Lord God, that you are doing a great work at Grace and Peace, that you have great plans for each and every person that's, that comes here, that attends here, that uh, just walks in the door, Lord. And we just thank you that your plans and purposes come to fruition, that they manifest not only in the future, Lord, but this year. We expect great things. We know that your spirit is on the move and that Holy Spirit is doing new things all over the world. Lord, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss what you're doing. So we say, yes, Lord, we're in. We're all in, Father God, and we thank you. I ask that you just fill my mouth, Father God. Let Holy Spirit come and just speak through me, your heart, and I just pray, Father God, a blessing on all those that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see. No matter how big I make my font, it doesn't matter anymore. Dave, I wanted to just commend you. That's the one song, I don't know the name of it. Um, I just real quick type the, the words. With all creation we sing, we, are, we adore you, you're my everything. That struck a chord with me tonight because there's going to come a time when we hear all creation sing. For those of you who don't know, I'm a middle school science teacher, so science is kind of my jam. And, you know, I like doing all those kind of weird things in science class. I teach middle school science, seventh and eighth grade, so it's, it's always a lot of fun with them. But I'm going to bring you into my science class, and I'm going to have the booth put up some different images uh, in just a second. So what we're going to do, the title of my message is Identity, Jacob, Joseph, and David. So we need to know who we are in Christ before we can actually walk out our destiny. And I want to look at some of the images. I'm going to actually challenge you to find what's supposed to be in the picture. So God does an awesome thing with all of creation, not to mention the camouflage that he gives many of the animals that roam our planet. So if we would, we'll take the first image. So in this image, looks just like a bunch of rocks. There's a bird in this image. It's supposed to be a bird, not a rock. Let's take a second. Anybody see it? George's got it. All right, let's see where it is. Okay, it is facing away from us. You're seeing the back, the head of the bird, and the back of the bird. Everybody see it now? No? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do the next one. Some of them are easier. This one's a little easier. This is a scorpion fish amongst an anemones. All right, let's see where it is. Everybody see that one? Ooh, okay, let's look at another one. We're going to look real quick. This, one's, this one should be a little bit more obvious. There's a gecko in this picture, face down, Nose down, right on the tree. Okay, let's circle it. Everybody see that one? All right, let's look at the next one. This one is the hardest. There's a snake there. This one is outlined, so let's see the outline for this one. And I highlighted it in yellow so you could actually see where the pattern is for the snake. 
Everybody see that one? Okay, next one. There is a mango caterpillar on this leaf. All right, let's circle it. And the next picture should show you what it actually looks like on somebody's hand. Okay, so it actually looks, has that line, like the center of the leaf. And our next one should be our video. Nope, okay, we have, uh, this is, there's a spider in the sand here. This one's tough. Okay, we see it in the middle there. All right, let's go to the next one. Is this our, yeah, this is our video. Oh, please, please. Oh, can you guys see that? That's an octopus. One of the most amazing transformations of camouflage in the world. All right, thank you. Thank you, Booth. Great job back there, thank you. So I'm not showing you this just to say, oh, this is cool, God does cool stuff. What I want you to think of while we're going through this message is that God gives everybody an identity. He's called it forth from the beginning of time. There's nothing that he doesn't know about your life, things that have gone on in the past, things that you're going to do, but he still gives you an identity. But sometimes we get hung up before we figure out what that identity is. So in these pictures, these organisms, these animals know who they are. The bird is a bird, the snake is a snake, the caterpillar is a caterpillar, but they're camouflaged so that we can't see them. And sometimes we do that to ourselves, just by the things that we call ourselves, the things that we allow other people to say about us, and the things that we actually run over in our minds. Sometimes we say things that aren't in line with what God calls us to be. And that's kind of where we're going tonight. Okay, so I have one more clip. Do we have the clip from, uh, from Aslan? There should be, I don't know if that's there. Okay. If you see a lion up there, let me know. Okay. So we've got, um, our focus again is to live inspired. So how do we live inspired? How do we do that? The definition of inspired is to be um, of extraordinary quality like you're rising out of some external creative force. To be breathed in is also to be inspired. It sounds to me like something added to the normal or ordinary way we live. To be inspired is not, I don't wanna say status quo. It's not mediocre. To be inspired has an added touch to it. It actually gives us an added enthusiasm for everything that we're focusing on. Author Susan Curry says, inspired living is an external creative force called by many to be God, an essence that breathes into the pursuit of our chosen lifestyle and the value that we receive while pursuing that lifestyle. More simply stated, it's a creative force of generating aliveness. And it's my belief that when we do this, when we live inspired, we're living in a state 
with all its glory, with all the enthusiasm, with all the creativity that God can give us because we're children of God. Inspired living is a way of living that creates extraordinary qualities in our life. Excuse me. We need to know who we are in Christ to actually live inspired. And it also helps us to know why we're alive. So who are you? Who am I? Are we the sum of what we do, the sum of our actions? Are we what our job says we are? What our parents said we were? What we're calling us in our thought life? Satan is determined to steal our identity. It's the very thing that he went after Jesus in the wilderness for. He actually tried to tempt Jesus, or he tempted Jesus, he tried to get him to bite and to take that temptation and sin. But Jesus was led into the wilderness by Holy Spirit. Sometimes we breeze over that. God ordained the wilderness time. Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what did Satan say to him? Matthew 4, 1 in the Amplified Bible says, then Jesus was led by Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. So it took him the whole 40 days and 40 nights to get hungry. And then the tempter said to him, if you are the Son of God. We just found out Jesus was hungry, and his first temptation was to turn stones into bread, if you remember. But it wasn't necessarily the temptation that was concerning. It was that Satan kind of tried to call Jesus' bluff, if you are the Son of God. He's trying to make Jesus doubt who he really is, because now he's in a, in a state of hunger and thirst. In the first two temptations, Satan says the same thing. If you are the Son of God, he tries to make Jesus question himself and the fact of who he is. Strong's Concordance says that uh, identity is something that binds together. It's a bond within us, not necessarily binding us to someone else or something else, but it's a bond within ourselves. It actually lets us know who we are and keeps our thoughts together. This one's funny. And the Hebrew meaning of identity is thisness. I am this. So thisness, okay? The Jewish identity is what connects people to each other, to the community, and to the land that God promised them. In exploring your identity, it includes developing an understanding of your place in the world in addition to being able to identify all the factors that contribute to how we see ourselves. To be clear, identity is not what we do. It's not what others think we do. It's not what others think we are. And a lot of times, it's not even who we think we are. As children of God, our identity is to be found in God's definition and opinion of us alone. What God says is true. If we don't agree with that, then we've got to shift our opinion because he's not changing his mind, okay? 
Each of us has a unique identity in God. And although there are some common parameters, and I think we have handouts somewhere. Do the ushers, greeters, somebody have handouts? I'm not sure where they are. We'll, we'll find them. We'll get them for the ending. Um, I have a list of sayings that Christ, uh, God says who we are. And they're declarations that are promises from the Bible that if we can take those things and speak those things over ourselves, it will help shift our mindset so that we actually know who God calls us to be. And knowing who we are in Christ makes all the difference in our walk with God. We inherit everything that Jesus is and is to come, and we will rule and reign with him. But we need to learn how to do that, and this is where we do it, here on earth. We need to also do it with excellence. It has everything to do with knowing who we are in Christ and taking on the nature of Christ. So our journey to identity, I'm going to start with, this is a rabbi, he's a family therapist. He's actually a messianic rabbi, and he says this, his, his name is Salvador Minichin. His, uh, his pic, he pictures individual identity as compromising both a sense of belonging and a sense of being separate. So to explain that would be, I belong to a family, but I am an individual, and I am a unique person within that family. Does that make sense? So I belong, but I'm also a little separate because I'm an individual. So how do I function as an individual within the group that I belong? Identity means belonging to a family, like a church family, or a larger group that somehow replicates family, and still distinguishes each person as unique, because there is such a great diversity that God has put in each one of us. And in a time when people are totally confused about identity more than ever before, when identity is seen strictly as something like an accessory we can put on and take off, it's extremely important that we know who we are in Christ and we know what God says about us because that is truth. We get information about who we are, but we, we, we really need to know. Thank you guys for handing those out. We really need to know what identity is. One of the key lessons we need to be aware of is that our true identity will always be tested. We are no less than Jesus. If the enemy is going to try and make him doubt who he is, of course he's going to come after us and try and make us doubt who we are in Christ. Even an identity given by God is attained through testing, as we'll see as we go forward. If the individual is really to own it, it will be tested. And we need to learn how to not only pass those tests, but steward the identity that God gives us. Tonight and next week, we're going to look at three of the more well-known figures in the Old Testament, Jacob, Joseph, and David. They were regular people, just like you and I when they started their journeys. They shared all the flaws and faults and fleshly desires and um, nasty things that we do as human beings. But there was something in them that caused them to rise above those circumstances even while sporting all of the human qualities that they had.
Over the years, it's been interesting and sometimes quite surprising to me as Holy Spirit led me through the journeys, their journeys in the Word. Some of them have common points, but each have an identity that's specific to each one of them. Some of the common points they shared are pride, selfishness, fear, hatred, even to the point of murder. They were human, just like us. There's so many lessons that we can learn, but we're going to, I'm going to speed through some of these, and I want to start with Jacob, the one listed by the Jewish people as like, I like to call them the top three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was a patriarch of the Hebrew faith, and he's a patriarch of our faith. I'm sorry. Because we are grafted into the people of God. But Jacob faced an identity crisis. When we look at the, his early life, it plays a common chord in many families today. Younger brother, favored by a parent, advised to outdo his brother, and was happy to do it. Always trying to beat one up on his older brother. Growing up, Jacob was the brother, was a younger brother of a set of twins. And while being born, it was said that he was grasping at his brother's heel, which is actually a foreshadowing of what's to come. In Genesis 25, verse 21, his father Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Rebekah was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant. While she was pregnant, the babies jostled around inside her womb, and she says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When it came time for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one came out red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. I find it interesting that before they were born, the brothers wrestled with each other in their mother's womb. God already set their identities in motion. But remember, in that day, there were no ultrasounds, no appointments, no OBGYNs, no midwives to give women advice. Re uh, Rebecca heard this right from the Spirit of God. There were two nations in your womb. She knew she was having twins. God told her that the older would serve the younger. And I think, like Mary did when she found out about who Jesus was, she pondered these things in her heart. I think she kept them tucked away. She knew this as, as Jacob and Esau grew. And she became God's little helper. The scholars say that the name Jacob means heel grabber. It's also a synonym for the word usurper, which means one who takes the place of another illegally or by force. 
Names in the Bible spoke of the nature of the person they identified. And in this case, all the names were correct, as we'll see. Jacob grabbed the heel of his brother as he was born, and he worked in cahoots with his mother to usurp his older brother. But his mother favored him over the older brother. Maybe she remembered what the Lord's words were, that the older would serve the younger. She wasn't very fond of Esau. Esau was a ruddy man. He was a hunter. He was rough. He was an outdoorsman. Jacob liked to be home. He hung out with mom. Maybe he learned to cook. They had more in common than she and Esau. Didn't Abraham, though, do the same thing with Sarah, tried to help God out by sending Hagar to Abraham so she could become pregnant because Sarah was barren? So we're seeing a trend in the families. In Hebrew tradition in the homes, it was always uh, the eldest brother that got the blessing from the father before he passed away. And in Jacob's younger years into adulthood, he was being molded by his mother into the man that he, she thought he should be because she had a word from God. He took on the same desires and pushed the boundaries in an attempt to be somebody he wasn't. Only a thought, but maybe mom told him what the Lord said to her before the boys were born. Jacob's identity was wrapped up in his mother's view of who she was pushing him to be. She was trying to make him into what God told her he was instead of allowing God to just work it out on his own. And that's one of the points about identity that we need to be aware of. Are we who God says we are? Or are we the person that those around us have called us? One of the most common ways people grow up, grow up is to become the person that, let me say this the right way. One of the most ways people grow up is to become the person that we've been called to be by the most influential person in our lives. So think about that. Most influential person in your life as a child, think about someone, could be a parent, could be a grandparent. If they tell you, like I picture my dad, if he tells me I'm a a good fixer, you know, I fix things, I'm mechanical, I know how to um, make things work when they're broken, maybe I grow up to be a mechanic. Maybe I grow up to be a doctor and I fix people. But if my dad calls me lazy and good for nothing, then that becomes part of my identity. And then what do I grow up to be? Make sense? So in Hebrew tradition, it is an event or a rite of passage to bless the eldest son. This changed in Genesis 27 in Jacob's house. When Isaac was old, his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, and he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I am old, I'm an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so I may eat, and that I might give you the blessing before I die. Jacob's mother was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country, she ran to Jacob. Look, I overheard your father, he says to his brother Esau. Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food so that I might 
that he may give you the blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father and eat it so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. They go on. And Jacob says to his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? He'll know I'm trying to trick him and that would be a curse on me rather than a blessing. But his mother says to him, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say, go and get them. So he went out and brought them to his mother and she prepared the food just the way his father liked it. She took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and bread she made. And he went to his father and said, Father, yes, my son, Isaac says, who is it? Jacob says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. They're perpetuating the deception together. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, Jacob replies. And then Isaac says to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So he's already having some doubts. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son? He asked. I am. Then he said, my son, bring me your game so that I might eat and I might give you the blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he brought some wine and drank, and he drank, and his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. I think this was Isaac's way of, let me get even closer. I can't see him clearly, but let me get closer. When Isaac caught smell of his clothes, he smelled Esau in the clothing, he blessed him and said, and then he goes on with the blessing. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to go down to verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared the tasty food and brought it to his father. And he said, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you can give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently. Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, father. That's how important the blessing became to the sons. But Isaac had a sense that the first who came was not Esau. Unfortunately, he followed his physical senses instead of the spiritual flags that he was sensing in his gut and he blessed Jacob instead. When Jacob lies and steals the blessing that's meant for his brother, he stepped into the wrong identity. For him, Jacob went along with all this. Of course he wanted the blessing, and he valued it. It was important to young male Jewish boys. But it was his mother's doing that helped him set up and attain it. We can be sure that when we submit to a lie, there will be always someone around us 
to egg us on or try and make, make us believe that it's okay. We need to keep our spiritual senses up so that we can tell the difference. Is this something that God is wanting me to do? Or is this person pushing me into a, into a place that I really shouldn't be stepping? If we can't hear, that's going to hinder our progress. Because of Jacob's decision and deceit, his brother Esau vows to kill him when his father dies. But again, his mother steps in. And they scheme up another plan so that he can flee from the only home that he's ever known. She sends him to his grandfather's house to find a wife. And so the next part of the journey begins. But we need to be mindful of not becoming God's little helper. He's the king of the universe. He created everything. Does he really need our help? Do we really need to do something to bring about the destiny that he's already called us to? I don't think so. But we always do it. As human beings, we always try to make something happen. All throughout the Bible, we find the same thing happens. God's people try and help him accomplish what he's already planned. Even in the New Testament, remember Peter? He says to Jesus, no, you can't die. You mustn't go to Jerusalem. Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You don't know anything about the plans of God. You're thinking with a, a, a human mind. You're thinking with human concerns and not heavenly motives. So we need to check our motives when we find ourselves contradicting what God says or if we feel like we have to help him. It's here Jacob has to come to grips with who he really is. Does he carry the labels he's had into this new part of his life, or does he make a choice to be the man God wants him to be? We'll see, just like you and I, old habits die hard, and it's not easy to change. Just like Jacob, we revert to common tactics, comfortable things that we're used to. But God takes Jacob through a difficult but extremely beneficial season to discover who he really is and what he's meant to do. The Bible tells us that God chastises those that he loves. Those chastisements sometimes come through trials and testing. So know that if you're going through a trial or you're going through a test, due to no sin of your own, it may be the hand of God. It may be that God's putting his finger on the very thing that you need to relinquish to him. You might need to put something down for a season. Or maybe you've got to pick something up. He might want to totally transform something in your life. Being in the wilderness with God is the safest place that we can be when God puts his hand on something. As long as we submit to God, his plans will come to pass. So how many of you feel like you go through the same issue over and over again? Like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? You go around in circles for 40 years to make a 14-day trip. Anybody feel like that? Because I do it all the time. I feel like I'm going around the same mountain. Sometimes it takes me a while before I realize that it can be the hand of God dealing with an issue in my life, something that he wants to transform or change or have me let go of so that I can move up higher with him. For me, it feels like it happens all the time. <laughs> Same day, different issue. 
Same script, different actors. No surprise then that Jacob receives similar treatment and deceit from his father-in-law when he got to his grandfather's. You would think that he would realize what was going on. I'm sure it was a big wake-up call for him. But the word of God is true and it's sure. What a man sows, he will reap. If we plant deceit, we'll get deceit. If we plant honor and respect, we will get honor and respect. But Jacob faced an identity crisis here. He decided to accept the labels that were placed on him because he didn't choose to live in opposition to those labels. Labels put on us, if they're not from God, are not to be owned by us. They are to be resisted and renounced, especially if they tend to be negative. God had other plans for Jacob, just like he's got other plans for some of us. Jacob sets out for another town, and he has a dream. In Genesis 28, verse 10, it says that Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it on his head to lay down, which sounds totally uncomfortable to me. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching down to heaven and the angel of God were going up and down, ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord your God, the father of Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. It's a pretty heavy promise from God. When Jacob woke up, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Which little parentheses here tells us we can be in a church meeting, we can be in a, a small group in someone's house, and the Spirit of God descends and falls on everybody in the room, but we don't notice it. We might not even know. If it happened to a Bible hero, it can happen to us. We can be in a place and not know God's even there. Jacob was afraid when he realized, and he said, how awesome is this place? It's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven where angels go up and down. So not only did he not know who he really was when he left his home, he didn't even know who God really was or that God had a major plan for his life to change and transform him. It's not until after major betrayal by his uncle and years passed, about two decades go by, that the blessings that were given to him by his father Isaac and the ones we just read from God begin to materialize. From the time of this dream at a place that he names Bethel, which means house of God, Jacob believed in the God of his fathers, the Bible says. And he says to his uncle, before, after being there for a while, before leaving his uncle's house, Genesis 31, 42, he says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. 
There's a whole nother story about how God blessed Jacob as he was leaving his uncle's house that we're not going to go into. My point with that verse is that God was still not Jacob's God. He was the God of his fathers. It's not until he comes under duress that he makes God his God. We're going to see that as he's on his way back to his father's house, he sends gifts to his brother Esau to appease him. Because remember, Esau promised to kill him after Isaac died. Esau finds out he's coming, and he goes out to meet Jacob. Esau and 400 men. Kind of scary. Jacob panics, and so he should, right? He stole Esau's blessing. He stole the birthright. He took the older son's blessing. In Jewish tradition, it should have been the older son's. And he ran because he was terrified, and his mom kind of helped him go. He deceived his father, and he deceived his brother. I think he should have panicked. But he does the one thing that turns the heart of God toward him again. He cries out to God. You know, like we all do when we're in a state of panic and nothing is going our way and we're terrified. He remembers, I'm sorry, Jacob still keeps God at a distance. Even though he obeys, he knows that God is protecting him and told him to go back to his father's house so the blessing can come. So he's got to go back to Isaac's house to receive the blessing. But now he's in a panic because Esau's coming out with an army. He does something that we should all do before we panic. He prays. In Genesis 32, 9, it says, Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown me. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. His family, wives and children, and livestock had multiplied beyond his wildest dreams. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers uh, and with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob does something that we need to review here and camp out on a little bit. He's got a few things come to his realization. First, he humbles himself and he prays. And he says to God, I am unworthy for all that you've done for me. He knew God was protecting him. So he humbles himself. The second thing he does is remind God of the blessing, that which God spoke to him years before. And we need to get this because the Bible encourages us to remind God. So he humbled himself even though he's in a panic that Esau was going to slaughter him and his family. He turned to God, and then he reminds God of the blessing that God gave him. He's coming into a realization of who God was. And any time we look into the face of God and realize who God is for us, no doubt God's going to show up. He's going to make a way where there is no way. He's going to give us that, open that window that we need to climb through when the door is shut. Because now we've humbled ourselves, we've turned to him, and we've said, God, you promised me this. God is not a man that he should lie. And when he promises, he'll come through.
Anytime we get to the place where we look into the face of God, the Bible says that we're transformed, transformed by his presence, transformed by his face. Isaiah 62, 6, this is the Good News translation. It says, on your walls, Jerusalem, I have placed sentries or watchmen. They must never be silent day or night. They must remind the Lord of his promises and never let him forget them. I don't know about you, but I don't think God forgets anything. He chooses to put things out of his mind, like our sin, but he doesn't forget. He wants us to remember. And in, in allowing us to remember, we can remind him and say, God, you promised me this. What am I doing? Why am I here doing what I'm doing? You promised me this. You said that I'm better than this. I'm going to believe your word, and I'm going to do all that you gave me to do. 2 Corinthians 18.3 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or consider the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So if we're looking with God in truth and transparency, that unveiled face, we don't have a mask on, we're not hiding anything, we're contemplating his glory, we're meditating on the God of all creation. We're being transformed in that moment. Into what? Into his image, into the likeness of Jesus. It comes from God. It comes from Holy Spirit when we do that. And Jacob was coming into a brand new relationship with the living God. He was well aware that before he really knew God, God took care of him, he protected him, and he made him prosper. However, in his panic, he still had the old identity, the old man, right? After we get born again, we're always fighting those, those old man tendencies, those fleshly desires, those habits that we had before we knew Christ. He was the schemer. He was the usurper. He was the heel grabber. And he decides to send gifts to his brother to appease him because he's terrified he's going to get slaughtered. The Bible says that if you send gifts to an angry man, it soothes their anger. And Jacob's still trying to appease Esau. Again, these are old man actions. But again, God had another plan. Because in Genesis 32, the same night he arose, he took his two wives, female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. So he took all of what he had, he sent them, because they're on their way back to Isaac's house. It's always when we're left alone and quiet in that wilderness place that God shows up. And when God showed up this time, he came as an angel of the Lord, and he wrestled with Jacob until the break of day. Most translations say a man wrestled with him, with a capital M, which means that it is the angel of the Lord, or the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. When this man, this angel of the Lord, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, caused his hip to be put out of joint, and he said to Jacob, let me go for the day is broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. There's that old man coming back up again. He wants a blessing. 
And he said to him, the angel says to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And when he says Jacob, he's not saying Jacob like we hear it. He's hearing it in the Hebrew language or whatever language Jacob is speaking. And he's hearing usurper, heel grabber, deceiver, because that's what the name meant. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, the angel says to him, but Israel. And Israel means prince with God. For you have striven with God and men and prevailed. Jacob asked the angel's name. And the angel just says, well, why do you need to know my, my name? Let me just bless you. So he blesses him. Jacob wrestled with God and walked away a different man. Not only did he have a new name, he had a new identity. He even walked different. Now he's prince with God, and he begins to step into the identity that God has for him. The label that defined him for so long was wrestled away from him, and all that was left was his true identity and purpose, to be the father of a nation. He had a whole identity shift in one night, but it took an encounter with the angel of the Lord. When we think about Jacob's journey, we need to reflect on our own journey in life, our own journey of identity. Will we continue to live life with the labels placed on us? Or will we choose to explore all of those things that God has called us? That's a big shift sometimes. And I don't think God does it all at once. I think he does it like we peel an orange or peel back the layers of an onion, one layer at a time. So if he did it all at once, some of us would die from the stress of it. But God does it the way we can handle it. When we know who God is, we can trust him to put his finger on those things that are painful those things that we don't like to see about ourselves. Because he wants to transform those things and make us into what he has called us. So in the next couple of minutes, let's look at the sheet that you have. And can I get one? <laughs> Thanks, dear. And this says, who does God say that I am? There are 40 here. We're not going to say them all. But what I want us to do, why don't we all stand? I know it's, it's almost 8.30. So we're going to do, let's do the top 10. Let's declare these over ourselves knowing that this is who God has called us to be. There are hundreds of these promises in the Bible. These are just a few. And I suggest that you say some of these. Find the others that are in the Bible. Speak them over yourself until you own it, until you believe it, because that's our first key to walking out all that God's given us to do. So, number one, I am saved. Say it with me. I am saved. I am complete. I am chosen. I am forgiven. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. I am redeemed. 
I am light. I am justified. I am free for sin. Do one more. I am more than a conqueror. Say that one again. I am more than a conqueror. The Bible says that we are all more than conquerors because Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again, got rid of our sin because he took it all on himself. And when he rose again, he gave us new life. If you were baptized in Christ, if you were baptized up here or at another church, you went down into the water, you died with Christ, and when you came up, you rose again, you came up to new life in Christ. You are a new creation. I've said this before, I'll say it again. You are brand new. The Bible has that word new creation. That little phrase is not just something that is remodeled. You are brand spanking new. You are what's called a prototype, something that's never before seen. You are a new organism, a new being, because now you are supernaturally formed. You have the DNA of God himself in you, Holy Spirit in you. You are a new creation, never before seen. And it's our mandate to walk that out and bring the kingdom of God here on earth. So let me pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for all that you're doing at Grace and Peace. I thank you for every single person that's here, Lord. I pray that as we leave tonight, Lord, that you would allow Holy Spirit to just speak to our hearts, speak into our minds who we are in Christ. We are hidden with Christ in you, Father. And I thank you. I thank you for the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that heals us. And I thank you for the transformation that you are causing to happen here at Grace and Peace and every individual here, that we can do all that you've given us to do, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.